This is episode 8 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Kathy Schumacher. She had also done private practice a lot over the years, and she um, helped me just understand that, like, it's a calling. What we do is a calling. It's like our, our passion, but it's also a business. And if we're going to be able to stay in our calling and help people, we have to be able to run a profitable business. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today to my conversation with Kathy. Kathy has had a lot of experience with using music to help kids and adults if needed uh, learn literacy. And she has some awesome insights and ideas for uh, important things to keep in mind when working on literacy, such as omitting your voice when making certain consonant sounds. So for example, in this episode, we used H. And so instead of saying huh, it's uh, to help kids learn more easily uh, when they're tying letter sounds together. She also shared a lot of her intervention ideas, things that she uses for learning sounds, learning how to construct sentences, uh, books she has developed to use in sessions to help kids with their literacy skills. And you can find all of her work at Tuneful Teaching. That'll be linked in the show notes below. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kathy. If you like it, please let us know by either leaving us a review on iTunes or joining our Facebook group and having your own conversation there about what you hear on the episodes. All you have to do is click to join the group and I'll accept you. So I'll see you on the other side of this episode. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you uh, for making the time, getting up early so we can have mm. this conversation <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. So to get us started, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? That is a very broad question. Anything you want to <laughs> share. All right. Um, well, I'm a board certified music therapist. I've been in private practice for over 20 years, which is a little crazy. Um, outside of work, honestly, work kind of consumes me for the most part, but um, we do have a large garden. I have three kids. Um, my kids are, one of them is into aviation, 
We have a lot of remote control oh. airplanes at our house. Uh, another one is very into music and uh, like language arts type things. And she's actually considering being a music therapist. She's in eighth grade right now. And then my other one is in high school and she is um, likes to read about NASA stuff and also is interested in meteorology. So outside of work and the garden um, and my kids, I like to read, but I rarely find time anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the gist of it. That's a lot to keep up with, but those are all really, really awesome interests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you learn a lot from them. For sure, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So how did you get into music therapy? And then what was your journey from then to now in the past 20 years, I guess, in your private practice? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in high school, I was in band, um, never in choir. So that was one hurdle for me to overcome. But I was kind of like toying, um, trying to decide between either being a music educator or a special education teacher. And those were kind of the two areas I was looking at. And then when I was a junior in high school, um, I went to Milwaukee on a tour for a youth symphony that I was in. I was a trumpet player. So trumpet is my primary instrument. And um, <clears throat> at a job fair there, I learned about music therapy. And the, the bass player in the symphony was also interested in it. So I soon, like the minute I learned about it, I just knew it was the perfect combination of, of what I had been considering. And um, she and her mom actually took me to UW-Eau Claire. Like they were considering it as a school and I just kind of tagged along and they didn't even go down that path, but I ended up going to UW-Eau Claire. That's where I got my degree. Um, and I just, it was like, I think this is pretty rare, but I just knew it was what I wanted to do. And I continued I never, you know, changed majors. I just like barreled through. So um, did my internship in Indiana. And then I came back to Eau Claire and I had been working um, the whole time I was in school. I worked for Lutheran Social Services in group homes. So I worked like almost full time because I could get 24 to 32 hours on a weekend. Wow. And then I would work. Yeah. Busy. <laughs> it was an am amazing job because I was working with people with disabilities um, in a really like intimate setting where I got to know them very well. Um, I got to do my laundry. I, got, I had a computer I could use whenever I wanted. Some of the work was night shift, so I could do my homework there. And um, like really the only downside was that I did not do anything social with <laughs> college friends, um, but it was really a great experience. So I went back to Eau Claire and I took like a management position with them just short term. And when I while I was doing that, I also had like just one private client that I worked with. Um, that was in Eau Claire. And then I moved to the Milwaukee area after about a year. Um, I took a full-time job in, it was sort of like a, um, almost like a day care type setting for adults with developmental disabilities. It was a day program. Uh, it was supposed to be a day program where they would go out on outings and have goals and all that kind of stuff. And it turned out being <clears throat> like, I just learned really fast that <laughs> I couldn't work like a nine to five job with the same four people. Like the clients were great. It was the, you know, the, being with the same four employees like every day and having that, I'd been used to working like three days, like almost literally nonstop without sleep and then having two days off and this crazy schedule was what I liked. Um, so I was really struggling there because it was my first time you know, first full-time music therapy position, and I was not loving it. <laughs> I loved the work, but I didn't love the structure of the work. 
Um, and then on top of that, my supervisor was older than me, um, but it was her second career. And she had far less experience than I did as far as working with people with disabilities. And the way that the clients were treated was very um, unethical in many ways. And I, um, I struggled like, do I stay here to like advocate for these people or do I get out because I know I can't stay here like long-term, you know? So um, I was there for, I think almost exactly two months and then they fired me and they said, you know, we love your work. You're, you're a great music therapist, but you can't get along with your supervisor. So we're firing you on the basis of that. And I was kind of like, whew, kind of relieved, kind of stressed out, of course, because I mean, that's, I have a very strong work ethic. And to say that I was fired from anything is now kind of like a proud moment. Yeah, that's what because, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. Because what I ended up doing was it was, um, it was a nonprofit that was run by a church and it had been around for a long time. And the, they just had, you know, it was a, a board that was running it. They had no idea what was happening day to day. I'm sure it started out as a great program, you know, at one point in time and then just whatever it, it, it evolved into not being great. So I wrote a three page letter to the board of directors and I just bullet pointed every concern that I had. Um, and I found out that both my supervisor and her supervisor got let go after that. Wow. Yeah. The art therapist that was there was really great and she stayed and she kind of let me know what happened. And after that, I have no idea, but <clears throat> so I had, that was my, one and only uh, music therapy position. <laughs> um, and then after that, you know, I was looking for a job. I had just moved and um, had bills to pay, of course. And so I, I think I just went on the job line, job hotline. And there was a um, position in Lake County, Illinois, um, that I ended up taking as a contract position. And from that point forward, like I just did private practice and it grew. Um, I was there for about six years. And it, I was working like 80 hours a week at one point in time. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, in 2002, I got, well, in, in there I got married and then we got pregnant with my, our first child in 2002. And then we moved up to near the Oshkosh area. So it was like a great way to just cut all ties and say, you know, I'm pregnant and we're moving, we're going to be two hours away. Um, and then... I took some time off with my kids. I worked very limited hours and then um, started private practice again. Um, I don't know how many years now, probably about 10 years ago. And it is just now I've been like intentionally keeping it part-time and it's just now to the point where it's back to full-time. Wow. That's one of yeah. the, the beautiful things about our profession is you can go that typical nine to five route. You can do private practice. You can do a mix. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. And like some of the part-time work that I did when my children were really young was actually like for summer school back in Illinois with some of the um, teachers and clients I had worked with. And I brought my kids with me and my, the teacher's daughter like babysat. And I did, I, like I worked summer school with a client that I'd already worked with, you know, previously. So I was able to stay in it, but doing nothing like, you know, no full-time commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's also, yeah. like you said, you had kids, they were young. It's a, it's a good way to kind of mold that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I even had one client. So I had these, these sisters in Illinois, um, who had a, a neurodegenerative disease where they 
regressed, like that was part of the process. And then I ended up doing music therapy with their grandma in Oshkosh. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, and she had been a teacher. So like, I, yeah, it was every other week. So I would see her one-on-one um, one week. And then the opposite week, I would bring my children with me and they would do the session with me. And that was like at, at the daughter's request. Um, Cause she knew me and she knew my work. She knew my kids. Um, like she's like a, you know, a second grandma to my kids in some ways the mom is. So I had like this multi-generational um, thing that was pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's really awesome. And mm-hmm. that's wonderful for them to grow up around other people, other children who have differing abilities yeah. and yep. to not only see them perhaps in their own classroom, mm-hmm. you know, depicted in the, the certain perspective and the light that they get in that classroom, but to see them in a session. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different, different world. It is, yeah, because then they see their strengths and they're like, wow, they can do that. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you've been in private practice for a while. What are um, some of the important characteristics in a mindset that you think someone in a private practice needs to have? And how do those impact our profession as a whole? Yeah, um, that's, that's a good one. Um, because when I started down in Illinois, Milwaukee area, Um, I was literally working close to 80 hours a week at one point in time. And because I was fresh out of college, zero business training, um, a female mind of just wanting to help people and, and people can't afford this and I'll do this for this. Um, and you know, I just set my rates way too low when Mm -hmm. I started. And once you do that, it's hard to, to gradually bring them up, but, um, I had a really valuable mentor. Her name was Christine Hennes. Um, she passed away a few years ago, but she had also done private practice a lot over the years. And she um, helped me just understand that like, it's a calling. What we do is a calling. It's like our, our passion, but it's also a business. And if we're going to be able to stay in our calling and help people, we have to be able to run a profitable business. Um, so a lot, it was just mindset stuff and just talking with her and trying to get over that hump and like realizing like, you know, if somebody comes to fix your furnace on your house, they have a hundred dollar travel charge. Plus they're going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour for their time or whatever it is, you know, it might be a $50 travel charge, but like, you can't just donate all your travel time because it, it cuts, you know, eats away at your bottom line. So just like understanding all of that stuff. And then when I started my private practice again in Oshkosh, um, I had all the kind of mindset, background, knowledge, and more confidence, of course. And um, then on top of that, just like knowing my numbers, like tracking all of my time, knowing that, so if I drive to see a client for half an hour, that's an hour round trip, and it's literally 50 cents a mile to drive my vehicle. And if my business isn't covering that cost, my family is covering that cost because mm-hmm. it literally costs money. If you go to the grocery store and it's 10 miles away, that costs you $5 one way. It costs you $10 to come back because you have to buy that vehicle. You have to maintain that vehicle. And like just knowing all the numbers and um, I literally track every hour I work now and I, I know at the end of the year, like even if I'm billing between like 120 and 156 per hour for a therapy session, um, I am making nowhere near that amount. 
And then on top of that, I have to buy health insurance. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's just so common for um, music therapists, female business owners to just rely on their husband for their health insurance. And that's um, great, but that's not possible for everybody. And health insurance is like changing so rapidly. It's growing. Like our bill increases 30% every year. Wow. It's, it's broken in our country. And I, if I want to stay in private practice, I have to be able to buy health insurance. So like you just have to know all the numbers and really figure out what you're actually making per hour. And um, like, so for example, one of the contract jobs I had in Milwaukee was at like a, um, a music school and it was $25 an hour. And I was fresh out of college and I was like, $25 an hour. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't like a super uh, busy, like thriving thing. It was a very like sh limited contract position. So I would literally drive in through Milwaukee traffic for half an hour to do a 30 minute session. Oh, wow. <laughs> get paid for not get paid for any prep. And if the session was at the school, I would not get paid for mileage. And then I would have to document and I wouldn't get paid for that. And then I would have to drive home. So we're talking $25 an hour, but I had an hour of travel. I did a 30 minute session. I did really 30 minutes of loading my car, you know, prepping for the session, documenting. By the time it's all said and done, I really put two and a half hours into that $25 session. And if it not was a half less. hour. It was a half an hour. Yeah, yeah you're so right. It wasn't even $25. Yeah, it wasn't. And now I'm making like way less than the minimum wage. Yeah. And I just didn't think all that through when I started. Um, but like you have to get paid for your travel because you just have to. <laughs> or it's never going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you heard of the books? I think it's Sing You Home by Judy Picoult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a point in it where the, the character who is a music therapist says something along the lines of no one becomes a music therapist to make money. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. I like, remember that. Yeah. And like you said, it is a calling, but you're totally right about in order for us to continue to do the work, we need to live sustainable lives. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we need to know what that is, like what that number is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, so I'm at the point now where I have a wait list and I would I've always considered, you know, growing and having employees and I'm holding off and probably might never, I'm not sure if I will or I won't, but, um, like there's so many, we have a shortage in our profession. We don't have enough music therapists. Right. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to offer them a sustainable livable wage that they can support their family with, you know? Um, and it's really hard because all of the benefits cost a lot of money. Um, but, it's just something that we need to keep working towards. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think it's, um, I don't know if open conversation is the right word, but it seems like more and more it's coming up uh, mm -hmm. in, in different, different forums of MTs, you know, I'm doing this setting. What's like an average wage around your area trying to get a feel for this or um, the mm -hmm. other allied therapists at my job make twice as much as I do starting, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. It is getting better. I mean, there's the whole, like, we can't price fix that's against the law and we're not, mm -hmm. I mean, like, but it's okay to like, talk about like, here's my range of, of what I, what I bill and it does include travel or it doesn't like you need to like factor in all those things. And I think 
that the AMTA survey isn't, and that's what people always say is go, go look at the survey. Um, when I personally take the survey, I have so many questions. Like they say, what are you charging per hour for this? I'm like, well, I charge this, but I also charge a $20 travel fee. Should I just lump that in? Mm -hmm. Or it'll say like, um, you know, full-time versus part-time. And I'm like, well, I'm working 40 hours a week, but I'm not billing 40 hours a week. Like yeah. the, it's very gray. There's gray areas that I'm afraid people are answering those questions kind of differently. Yeah. And it's not like pure data. Um, so I don't know. It's, it just needs, we just need to keep evolving. Otherwise, um, we're not going to get enough people to, <laughs> to meet the need, you know? Yeah. And to stay in the profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Um, so you personally have done a lot of research about literacy. Mm -hmm. and, and you're working with with little kiddos now, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack a sec. So you were doing stuff with uh, people with adults with varying disabilities. And now you're more with the kiddos. Is that right? Um, I think I've really done all ages all along. Okay. Right. Um, my work in the group home happened to be mostly with adults, but I also like volunteered for Special Olympics and was in the Big Brother Big Sister program with a child with disabilities. And I've always um, worked with all ages all along. Yeah. Gotcha. So do you gravitate towards one? I gravitate towards the kids, but I really do enjoy all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the And the same kids way. are only, they're only available, you know, during the school year. That's a struggle. Like the mm -hmm. after school hours is a, a challenge. So it's great to have the combination. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. All right. So tell us about your research in literacy. Yeah. So um, I guess it was about 10 years ago. I had, was working with a, a child on the autism spectrum. Um, she's, I haven't worked with her for a while now, but um, she, like she knew her, she was in a like self-contained classroom and her teacher said like, she's the highest level, uh, you know, reader in our class because she knew all of her letters and she knew all of her letter sounds, but she couldn't read. <laughs> but in that class, because of the level that the other kids were at, like that's all they worked on was letter sound correspondence. And so like she wasn't really getting the help she needed. And that's always a struggle for me because I'm not in the school system, but I read the IEPs and I try to connect with them as much as I can. And I always think, oh, you're not doing enough. You know, like, like I have, I think I just always have really high expectations. At least I want to try, see if, you know, a child can learn this. So um, I can't remember exactly how that all happened, but somehow in the process of just uh, researching literacy and what I could do to help her, I started learning about phonological awareness. And so that is like the building block for literacy. It comes like before letter sound correspondence. So that just means, you know, B says, but that's letter sound correspondence. Um, and for most kids, like phonological awareness just sort of develops by osmosis. Like they're just, they hear nursery rhymes, their parents read to them a lot. They have conversations and they just start um, hearing rhyming and they just start like making up silly rhymes. And it just happens without having to be intentionally taught that skill. Um, but at least a third of the population is not getting it that way. They need to be like intentionally taught. And this is primarily kids um, who have like a lot of ear infections when they're young because they're not hearing, they're hearing like 
it through water, like it's all, you know, garbly. Um, and then this, and then kind of my theory, and then I did find some research to back it up, is that the kids on the autism spectrum, for the most part, they have a visual strength. That's not like across the board, but that tends to be true. And so they're so focused on the visual that they're not learning this through the auditory um, way that typically developing kids would. So I just started reaching, researching phonological awareness and it just was fascinating. Um, and I think, cause I'm a, a big reader and I had always kind of wanted to be a special ed teacher and also wanted to do the music stuff. And I just sort of gravitated back to this. Um, and if I like get, when I get my master's degree eventually I would actually like to get it as a reading specialist. Um, but then use all of the music-based strategies to teach the phonological awareness, which is the building blocks for, it's like the foundation. If you don't have that foundation in place and you just start teaching B says B, then they're not going to be successful readers. Um, so then I just started writing songs for all the different areas. Um, there's like syllable segmentation, phoneme segmentation. I have a whole developmental continuum that looks like a rainbow. Um, and there's five columns and then each column has a skill. It's, it's like really complex and fascinating. And I would present on this at conferences, um, you know, and I started out <clears throat> like just giving a thick handout. Well, it started out with a thin handout with like, <laughs> these are my six best songs. You know, I always want to give them something to take with them. And then the handout got to be like so thick that I spent like $150 on handouts one year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and you're not getting paid to present. So um, anyway, then eventually it grew into just like a cone bound book. And I sold it at, you know, after my presentation, I just sold it for $20 and they like went like hotcakes, like they were just gone. Um, and then I look back at that and I'm like, oh, it's so like amateur, you know, but that grew into an ebook essentially. Um, and that's on my website, um, tunefulteaching.com. And it grew and grew and grew. <laughs> and now it's a 215 page ebook. Wow. Which is really too big to be an ebook, but it is. I feel like uh, I gave like birth to conjoined twins and now I need <laughs> to like separate them. <laughs> so, like, long term, my goal is to take each column like in that developmental continuum and have a book for each column, which is what the book is, but it's all one and I need to like separate it out. But yeah. it's kind of a long-term, long-term process. Yeah. Well, and that's um, time and energy too. <laughs> it is. Right? It's so. definitely time and energy. Yeah. That's uh -huh. awesome. So can you give us like a little snippet of one of the, one of those original songs maybe, or a different one if it comes to mind? Sure. Um, so like silly name game, like rhyming is a really, really strong foundational skill. Um, <clears throat> and it's harder than it seems. And there's actually like multiple levels of rhyming. There's rhyme recognition, rhyme judgment, rhyme oddity, rhyme completion, rhyme production, all this stuff. So mostly we just do like rhyme production. Like you, you tell a kid, you know, what rhymes with hop and they should be able to tell you mop. Um, and it's, it's not as easy as it seems for kids that are struggling. So I've taken like that skill and like just created visuals for it and songs for it and intentionally like taught what it means. Um, so one that a lot of kids love. And so the, the funny thing about this song is called Silly Name Gang. I'll sing it for you first. It goes, let's see what's your name is Trisha with a T-R. So that's tricky. But My um, name's really can, hard. 
<laughs> to work with. Kids can't so, say it all the time. Yeah. I so say, I usually use Santa to begin with. Perfect. So I'll go, let's play a silly name game. We'll change the first sound of Santa's name. Start by singing his name. Always ends the same. And then we echo that line. Always ends the same. And then Santa, Santa. Now we'll start with B. Banta, Banta, now we'll start with W. Wanta, Wanta, isn't that a silly name? And then they love to do their own names. And I tell them, um, you know, like names are really important and you don't want to do this with somebody's name unless they give you permission because you mm -hmm. could turn this around and like, you know, if somebody didn't want you to play with their name, it could turn into a teasing thing. But the kids love it. I do these intergenerational programs um, once or twice a year where I have the older adults there and then the kids there. And we do all these songs. And I basically do like a 30-minute um, interactive like session with all these songs. And then the kids read with the seniors for like 10 minutes. Um, and then we end with a goodbye song. But um, so like that song, it's, it's teaching rhyming and it's also teaching phoneme substitution, which is like a really advanced skill where like you say, um, you know, take the word shoe, take out the SH and put in a B instead. And that's like a cognitive, like working memory skill mm -hmm. that's really challenging. Shoe, take away the SH, put in a B and you get boo. Um, that's called phoneme substitution. And that's how we learn to read. We like learn to read by seeing patterns and word families and phonograms. And so this is like a bass song that teaches rhyming in a really fun way that works with younger kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. Yeah, that's a, a great example of... Um someone just coming in might see that intervention and you know yeah. unlikely we'll be able to pick up on all the really intense work that you're doing cognitively yeah and they're also they're also learning to say a definition for what a rhyme is oh, yeah. a rhyme is when the ending chunk stays the same yeah and they have to echo that back to me and they do that they, they sing it back to me awesome mm -hmm. that's yeah. really great thank you I'm, I'm glad that that's yeah for people to hear uh -huh. Awesome. So, um, what else did is there? Were there any other components of literacy that you researched that you had um, surprising results? Um, not surprising results. I did. I did enter a master's program at UW Oshkosh to become a reading specialist, and I just did one class, and that was focused on reading comprehension. <clears throat> so that was pretty fascinating. But I only I scratched the surface on it. It's really a bigger, broader topic. But I have found that teaching phonological awareness, especially to kids on the autism spectrum, because there are so many of them that are like hyperlexic and just can read, like they can read like it's nobody's business. Even like when they're three, they can read the dictionary. I've had multiple kids be able to do this. But if you ask them questions, they're not able to, we don't know if they can't comprehend or they just can't demonstrate their com comprehension. Um, but that uh, is another area that I've done a little bit of work and research and songwriting for, but it's just, I haven't gotten far enough into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, such a deep topic. It feels like, like NMT is its own training and NICU training is its yeah. own. This should yeah. be its own training. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Put yeah. that on my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, you don't necessarily have to teach it, but um, you're totally right that 
like this is a very specialized niche it is to, you could have a whole session with just this and not work on the other domain goals that we usually touch on mm-hmm. right yep but i found ways to for example write the goal as a working memory goal executive functioning but then throw in literacy <clears throat> um because like the literacy is a skill that works on the executive functioning yeah because some of my funding sources won't pay for like academic based goals yeah um but it is a lot of it is just working memory also, which m- many of my clients are struggling with. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that that goes back to unsure if the the recall isn't there to tell you the things they read or mm-hmm. the the yeah. yeah. That would be an interesting study to see. I'm sure there's something out there, but yeah, oh, wow. yeah, that's all really cool. And you have some great resources like that book on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some other stuff too. You have, it looked mm-hmm. like some children's books. Yeah. Tell us about those. Yeah. Everything is literacy based. Um, so there's, I, I have many things that are supposed to be there that aren't there yet <laughs> on the website. It's just kind of on the back burner right now, but <clears throat> um, there's the alphabet book there. So that's a big one, especially <clears throat> as far as like getting training in this area that I find a lot of music therapists don't, um, when they sing like alphabet sounds, they're singing them in a way that confuses the children. <laughs> so like to know the, like the 26 sounds of the alphabet, more than that if you do long and short vowels, and to know um, like, for example, when you sing H, you, you need to turn your voice off. It becomes a Mm-hmm. If you sing it as ha, ha, and then, which is hard to sing it with your voice turned off, right? But you have to if if the child is struggling with literacy. Like if your goal is just to get them to vocalize, um, it's okay. But if if you're like, if you think you're working on an academic or literacy-based goal, which I've seen like blog posts and other music therapists write songs that are supposed to work on literacy, and then they they say these sounds um, you know, wrong. Cause the reason is like, so if you do, um, what's a good example? Um, if you do, let's say, um, hop and you teach ha ha, and then the, ah, and then it's puh, like, that's how we would sing it. Puh, puh, puh. Then you try to sign sound out hop. It's going to be like, ha, ah, pa. <laughs> like, and the word becomes ha, pa. Well, that's not the word. The word is hop because the letter sounds are actually and ah and p, hop. That's yeah. that's the word. And there's so many examples of that, um, that that's important to know what those letter sounds are. So my alpha book has pure sounds for all 26. <laughs> and there is the, um, I know there's a free, <clears throat> the recording is free. And then if you want the visual to go with it, that's a digital download. Awesome. So here's um, one of my pet peeves, I guess, with similar things is I'll have letter cards or a book or um, a letter resource not developed by an MT and it'll be giraffe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you want to say giraffe? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And even my early version of that um, alphabet book, like I made mistakes. Um, so I used like for, for G, I used a guitar, 
which is a correct sound. But when you sing the song, like the T is the accented syllable. Mm-hmm. So G is for guitar. Like it's a small thing, but it makes a huge difference yeah. in their ability to learn it and to be able to produce it. You know, so I, um, an umbrella, I used to have umbrella. So that was umbrella and that was the B sound. So now I have G is gum and U is underwear, <laughs> which the kids <laughs> love. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those little things though, really important to think about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad we touched yeah. on a few of those. Yeah, the other one on the website is uh, called Dot to Dot Drumming. Um, and that is a downloadable resource with visuals where I take like the nesting hand drums and just put them left to right. And then there's words and pictures. And so that is, um, it's actually a number of skills, but it's sentence segmentation. So learning that a sentence is a bunch of words separated if you think about like listening to somebody speak in Italian or some foreign language, we have no idea where one word starts and another one, you know, stops. It's just all blah, 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 run together. That's what our speech sounds like to some of these kids because they're not hearing the individual words, you know? Mm-hmm. So this, um, you, so the, the simple sentence is I see a cat. And so each word is on one drum and then you just pound it from left to right. And you say, I see a cat and then the cat has a picture or the word whichever you want and then you take that away and then you can put the dog in and then they do it again it changes the meaning i see a dog and that's the kind of like the starting point and then there's enough words and pictures that you can do um uh, the cat sat in on or under the and then there's like eight objects. So there's a couch and a table and a basket. Um, and so then they can start doing word substitution, which word substitution is a skill that has to develop before phoneme substitution develops. Cause you're always st- starting with big chunks and then working down into small chunks is how it develops. And so that's another resource. And so it's like a literacy resource but it's also a speech resource because um, if the, the child just needs help, needs like that rhythmic cue to get the speech out, you can structure it that way. It can meet whatever goal the child has. So I call that dot to dot drumming. I like that one a lot too. Yeah. <clears throat> dot to dot drumming. Awesome. Are there any other ones you want to mention? No, I think those are the main ones. Everything else is still on my desk or in a file somewhere. <laughs> I look forward to seeing them up. So Eventually. Usable. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Are you ready to move into some rapid fire? Sure. All righty. Coffee or tea? Uh, both, but mostly tea every day. Three cups. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> Is it like three cups in the morning or one at each meal? It's uh, English breakfast in the morning. I make it the night before so it can steep a long time. And then I have that with <laughs> half and half and maple syrup. And then I put in a chai tea bag and I make a second cup out of that. And then my other tea comes like with lunch or after. Wow. I love coffee, but it, it's not like a migraine trigger for me. Mm-hmm. So I have to, um, I kind of just have it like with dessert for a treat sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps it special. Although it sounds like your your tea is a very special, special yeah. thing too. <laughs> have it down it to is. science. Uh-huh. Early bird or night owl? Uh, both. <laughs> yeah, both for sure. That's a problem. By choice or because of kids or? 
I um in college I had a um uh I was known for not sleeping like because I was working all these night shifts and I literally would go three days without sleep on a regular basis wow yeah wow all right well that's a skill (laughs) it's a skill but it's harder the older you get (laughs) yes something you would tell your younger self um that it's just in the grand scheme of life it's not that important <laughs> Good one. you know things that seem like so like stressful and big deal at the time like looking back I just don't even remember most of them you know yeah yeah sometimes when I'm stressed about something I say to myself will this matter in a year right yeah usually not yeah usually not (laughs) yeah uh your music therapy elevator speech yeah that's evolved over the years at this point it's pretty simple I just say um I use music to help kids learn awesome that's it yeah yeah and then uh you know if I need to go on I'll say something about how if if kids are really struggling to learn I can use music to help them learn non-musical skills Um, You know, it's a therapeutic profession and that's about it. But I start with just, I use music to help kids learn. Awesome. And, or I might not even say kids, I might say people because I really, all ages that I've worked with, they're all still learning. And so are we, right? (laughs) Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Your favorite self-care practice. Uh, Long hot showers. Good one. Yeah. That's all I do. I'm not very good at (laughs) self-care. Well, you have your tea. It sounds I like you, you, you probably have it mixed in more than um than like I need yeah. to do self care now. It's kind of all throughout your day. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Something that's currently adding value to your life. Um, adding value to my life. Just, I think my faith. Um, my Christian, my parents have some health complications right now and it's, it's, it's hard stuff, but having the faith and the big picture, um, the belief of where we're headed, it, it helps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Your favorite intervention, if we haven't touched on it already. Yeah. Um, well, it's related actually to the, the things I did talk about, but it's a little bit different. There's this thing, um, this like strategy in literacy called Alconan sound boxes. So all it is, is like, I just take a dry erase board and I draw three boxes. Um, Usually I just can do a rectangle and then split it. So they're connected boxes or you can do separate with a little space in between, depending on what the need is like for visually. But the idea with um, literacy is you just take the word like hat and you put magnets under each box and you slide the magnet up for each sound. So you're taking the word hat and you're separating it into individual sounds. And so you just slide the magnet up and you would say, ah, and there's just that added, you know, motor component to it. And then you slide your finger under and say, hat. So you're separating the word and then you're putting the word back together. So um, I've taken that and I have laminated pictures of instruments. And so I will play a series of like, 
two or three, usually three instrument sounds like behind a dry erase board where the kids can't see it, but they can see those Alconan sound boxes. So they have like a picture of I'm listening for first, then I'm listening for the middle sound, and then I'm listening for the last sound. And then their goal is to remember which sounds I played um, and just kind of depending on where they're at, they can either like point to the pictures as we go, or they can put the magnetic pictures up first, or if they're really skilled and like, uh, so it depends on what they're working on. It might, if it is truly like a working memory task, well, I'll, ha I'll play the three sounds and then have them play them back for me. That's the ultimate goal. But there's a, a combination of like prompting and supports that I give with the pictures. Um, so it's kind of started out as a literacy goal, like being able to identify these uh, like nonverbal sounds, which is a struggle. Like for some kids to hear the difference between a bell and an egg shaker is, is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so it started out that way. And then like, this is an example of how I've been able to write goals and say, improve working memory um, through like, you know, however I write the goal. But so that's, I've been using it with so many kids and I find that I'm kind of using it for a different reason and in a different way with each child, even though like somebody that walked in might just see it and think, oh, it's the same thing. She's mm -hmm. doing the same thing with every child, but <laughs> I'm not, you know? So that's, I hope that made sense. Yeah, that's a good one. And like you said, it has so many different ways to be adapted mm -hmm. for different things. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Where can listeners find you, connect with you, all that good stuff? Yeah, I am not into social media too much. So I have a website. It's Tuneful Teaching. We'll so T yeah, T-U-N-E-F-U-L and then teaching. Um, and then I also do like I do probably halftime music therapy. And then the other half of my work is like just early childhood music classes. So I have Tuneful Tots and Tuneful Teens and stuff like that. Um, so and then my email is Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y at tunefulteaching.com. So really email is just probably the best way. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today and sharing all your insight yeah. about literacy. That was uh, great for, great for me to hear. So I know there's going to be lots of other people that are going to have lots of new ideas from hearing it as well. Awesome. Well, I'm enjoying your podcast, so keep it going. Thank you. We're working on it. And I hope you, you found uh, what you were looking for. When yeah, you initially... I've, I've been listening to tell them all. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm in the car a lot. Yeah. For, uh, me too. So for the listeners don't know, but um, Kathy reached out to me and I had mentioned the music therapy hour, I think was that. Yeah. 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 And um, she lost her sticky note. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. I so did. <laughs> music therapy hour is out. Um, check that out. Also, I found a couple more clinical populations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have some good stuff. And never mind who's listening oh. is another new podcast I've found from a music therapist. So oh, I'll have to reach out one. to some of them and have them on the podcast. And if any of the, the hosts of those shows are listening, feel free to reach out to us. <laughs> Yeah, because when you go into iTunes and you search mm -hmm. like music therapy or whatever, they don't come up. So we have to keep talking about them. Yeah, totally. And yeah. of course, Rachel Ramback has uh, guitars and granola bars, which has been around forever. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye.
Thanks again for tuning into my conversation with Kathy. I know I learned a lot about how to incorporate music with literacy learning in my sessions, and I hope you did as well. Even though it's summer and maybe we're not seeing some of our kiddos who are school clients, you'll have the ideas ready to go in the fall. So thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. I'd like to read some more reviews at the end of these episodes. Uh, And if you're interested in being on an episode or have someone in mind that we should interview, please let us know by emailing us at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Mm -hmm.